Amen. We had another song lined up, but I'm going to just jump in here and preach a little bit. How many of you, raise your hand and say, preacher, I'll give you 20 minutes to preach. Raise your hand. I'll give you 20 minutes. Raise your hand. There's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. <laughs> Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. When you find your place, stand with me. Please hope you'll be back tonight for the five o'clock service. We have church twice on Sunday. Somebody said, preacher, why do you have church twice on Sunday? Because I don't think you can handle it if we had it three times. So we only have it twice. Amen. But it's the Lord's day all day long. And believe it or not, we can have two church services in less time than it takes to have an NFL football game. Amen. So if the, if the world can play football for three hours, I think we might can worship God for three hours. Amen. That's a whole lot more fun. Whole lot more fun. Amen. I'm, I'm, uh, let me just throw this out there because I was talking about being an American. I'm glad I'm an American. I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled literally all over the world. I've got in my office, I've got a, a two, two rows of shelves of flags that I've been to countries around the world. And uh, America's the greatest nation in the world. But I want to say this. At Calvary Baptist Church, we love the whole world. In fact, in fact, we're trying to put a missionary in every nation, all 195 of them, amen. We're trying to put a, a, a Baptist preacher, leather-lunged, Holy Ghost anointed, spirit-filled Baptist gospel preacher in all 195 countries around the world, okay? So if that, me talk about America being wonderful, if that tweaked you, uh, amen. We try to tweak Marxist and communist every chance we get around here. Uh, we love America. If you don't want to be here, you see me after the service, I'll personally buy you a one-way ticket to anywhere you want to go uh, just to show you how nice a guy I am. But we love, we love uh, what God's doing here at Calvary Baptist Church. And uh, our country seems like it's falling apart at the seams. Uh, but, but here at Calvary, we don't blame politicians. There's plenty of blame for them to go around, but we're not blaming the politicians. We're not blaming Washington, D.C. We're not blaming Annapolis. You know who we're blaming? We're blaming the people of God that have the answer that's not sharing it. Amen. So we put the responsibility right here on our shoulders. And so we're trying to do something about it. Amen. So uh, I just want to say again, we appreciate all of our first responders. We love you. Thank God for you. We had others that wanted to come. We had a number of others that were going to try to be here. But unfortunately, the nature of their work, they're on call. They have to be other places. But those that are here today. Thank you for being here. And we're going to preach a message a little bit along these lines out of Psalm 46, verse number one. The Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I want to preach for a little bit this morning on when you're in trouble. Amen. When you're in trouble. Lord, help us this morning as we look into the scriptures. I pray that you'd open our hearts, our understanding, do a work in everybody's life that's here today. Saved, lost, members, visitors, it doesn't matter. May you have your will away in every life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. And just to throw this out at the beginning of this message, as we have our First Responders uh, Appreciation Day, uh, we're grateful for the job that they do. And, and I thought about this. Uh, first Responders uh, have, have a lot in common with a pastor, all right? People only call you when there's a problem. <laughs> Very rarely will they call 911 to say, I just want to say I hope you have a great day and you can stop by my house and I'll give you some a fresh home-baked cookies and a glass of ice-cold milk. I mean, I don't think they get many calls like that. Usually when somebody calls uh, 911, it's a, it's a tragedy, it's a crisis. 
and they expect somebody that's been trained and prepared to show up and help them. So that's just one of the things that pastors have in common. Amen. People walk up to a pastor in the store. Are you a pastor? I'm having this problem with my hand. You know, that's the first thing they say. Would you pray for my hands? Like, yeah, but what's your name? Can we start with that? They just need, they need help. They're in crisis. And, but, but we're grateful for the work and the labor. But I guess my question this morning is, uh, uh, we know who to call. We know who to call when we're having a problem. Amen. I was dating a blonde one time. We had a car wreck. And I said, call 911. She said, what's the number? That was just a blonde joke I threw in there. I'm glad we know who to call. Amen. I had a boy one time. He was talking to his girlfriend's daddy. He said, I want to date your daughter. I want to take her out on a date tonight. He said, if you're not here at, at 9 o'clock, sharp. He said, I'm going to call 811. He said, you mean 911? He said, no, I'm going to call 811. That's who you call before you dig a hole. Amen. Uh, it was 811. We know who to call when we have a problem. But I wonder when it's a problem that the, the paramedics can't work on and it's a problem that the police can't fix and it's a problem uh, that the ambulance uh, drivers can't help us. If it's a problem that the firefighters can't help, do we know who to call when we're in real, real real trouble. And that's what I want to preach about a little bit this morning. Looking at our text in chapter 46, give me three things by way of introduction. Because in this chapter, the psalmist knew who to call. And that was God. That was God. And I'm going to give you three things this morning by way of introduction on why God's our best source of help. He's the first one we ought to call when we're in real trouble. Number one, he's our best source of help because of his availability. His availability. Amen. Amen. One of the things our, our uh, law enforcement officers, they pride themselves is in their response time. Now, some of they work on is trying to get to the scene of the crime or get to the call and try to get there in as short a time as, as, as they possibly can. And some, some uh, calls requires you to get there ASAP, and some of them do not. I know when Spencer was working for PG County Sheriff's Department, he said some of the calls, he said we could use our lights and sirens, and some of them we weren't allowed to. Of course, he said I used them every chance I could. Amen. He liked to drive fast. But the truth of the matter is, let's just be honest, they're humans, and they deal with limitations traffic and, and all kinds of logistical issues come into play. But I'm grateful this evening, I'm grateful this morning that when we need help and we need help ASAP, that God is always available. Amen. You don't have to worry about getting a, a busy signal. You don't have to worry about a long wait time. In our text in verse number one, it says he is a very present help. In trouble. Is that what your Bible says? A very present help. In other words, he's there the minute you need it. The second you need it, he's a not just a help. He's not just a present help, but he is a very present help. Amen. We're talking about record-breaking response time. Amen. I remember one time we had a bad wreck in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I was talking to one of our, our, our I believe it was the, the, the color guard, said he was from working in Stone Mountain for a while. We had a, 
horrible accident. My dad and I one morning going to work, we got, had to get to work at four o'clock in the morning. We got rear-ended by a guy that was just flying. I mean, he was flying through town. The speed limit was like 40. He was going 100, hit the back of our car. My dad ended up breaking his neck. And our car flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped. And I had to drag my dad out of the car with a broke neck. There was, there, you could smell the gas leaking. We were sitting in a ditch, freshly, freshly bush-hogged ditch on the side of the road in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I was pulling, I was pulling grasshoppers and crickets off my daddy while he laid there bleeding and crying. And we sat there and all I could say, well, this was before we all had cell phones. Remember back in those days, you didn't have cell phones, remember? They had pay phones. And if you were lucky, you had a quarter in your pocket. I'm sitting on the side of the road. I'm holding my daddy. I'm holding my daddy in my arms and he's crying and I'm crying and I'm saying, help, somebody help. Seemed like forever before the ambulance got there. Can I tell you something? I've never been one time when I called on God that he wasn't right there. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Look at verse number five. The Bible says in verse number five, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. Let's be honest. Our first responders are happy if they get their own time. God gets there early. <laughs> Come on. Think about that just a minute. He's there before you need him. He's right there before you call him. He's the first one we ought to call because of his availability. Number two, not only do we see his availability, but we see his authority. His authority. The Bible says in verse number two, therefore will we not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I'm talking about a God that has the authority to deal with things like mountains moving and waters roaring and mountains shaking. Come on. Ain't nothing any more frustrating than being asked to solve a problem that's bigger than you can handle. There's nothing more frustrating for a law officer to show up on somebody's front door and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. And they have to say that sometimes. There are times when the paramedics have a car crash and they're ministering first aid and they have to throw their hands up and realize there's nothing we can do. This is past our ability and our scope of knowledge to fix and to help. I'm thankful we have a God that has the authority to fix everything. Amen. There's no problem God can't handle. The sad thing is a lot of people wait till last to call him. They call and talk to everybody else before they call him. The Bible tells us in verse number eight, behold, uh, the, the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. We see this speaks of God's military ability and his authority to intervene and intercede in a problem no matter how severe it might be. There might be somebody sitting here this morning and your life's a mess. The devil has chewed you up and spit you out and your life is one big tangled up gnarly mess and you probably have convinced yourself that it's beyond fixing but can I tell you something this morning? The God of heaven can fix it. He can help you in your trouble. No problem too big for God. In John 11, there was a man that had been dead and buried for four days. 
They sent word to Jesus, Lazarus, your friend Lazarus is sick. And on purpose, Jesus just delayed his coming, lollygagged and waited around. He shows up, Mary and Martha's aggravated with him. They said, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus said, it's not too late. He's just dead. He's just dead. We can fix that. The Bible says he walked over to the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up and came forth out of the grave. He had been laying there for four days. One preacher said the reason why Jesus said Lazarus come forth is because he didn't want everybody in the whole cemetery to come forth. He only wanted Lazarus to come forth. If Jesus had said come forth, the whole crowd would have got up and come out of there. We see his authority, his availability, but thirdly, we see he's our best source of help because of his assurance. Verse number 10, be still and know that I am God. What about that? I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. That ought to bring some confidence and assurance into your heart this morning. I know as a pastor, I have been called on many times to help people with problems. And I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if it's just me or not. I know Brother Leto pastored for years, Brother Berner pastored for years. Brother Josh Russell sitting back there pastored. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like people's problems today are a lot worse than they used to be. Amen. People are just messed up. Can I get a witness? How many of you would say, preacher, I'm part of that crowd that's messed up. I'm messed up. Got more issues than a magazine collector. Just a mess. My, my late friend used to say to me, he said, he said, people are crazier than anybody else. That's what he used to say. He was a pastor. He'd call me on Monday morning. He said, Brother Stacy, people are crazier than anybody else. I know that don't make sense, but we would have a good laugh. I knew what he was saying. Dealing with people with their problems can be overwhelming. And there have been many people walked into my office and I would say to them, I don't know if I can help you, but I can try. I would say that. I don't know if I can help you, but I can sure give it a shot. But can I tell you something when God's on the scene? You can have assurance. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. There's never been a problem that he couldn't handle. Well, that was the introduction. I'm, I'm going to be as brief as I can, but there's several things in the Bible that as I begin to read and I begin to study about the word trouble. I just got fascinated with the word trouble. How many times I saw it in the Bible. By the way, there's just troubles that come from being born. Job said this in Job 5, 7, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Just sure as sparks fly upward out of a bonfire, the Bible says man's born unto trouble. He said in Job 14, one man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. That's just life. Let's be honest, living on earth comes with a certain amount of trouble. I mean, the first thing that happens when you're born is a complete stranger slaps the daylights out of you. That's the first thing that happens. That's the first thing that happens. Welcome to planet Earth. Pow! <laughs> Hello, Tokyo. And life just kind of goes downhill from there. You think about the problems little kids have. They have problems using the bathroom. They have problems tying their shoes. 
They have problems crashing their bicycle. They fall out of bed. The dog eats their homework. I mean, we could just go on and on with just the troubles that little kids have. Then they become a teenager and they go, I'm growing up now. And then they have another whole set of problems. Their girlfriend leaves them for another guy during lunch break, just like that, <laughs> for no reason. They don't have enough money in their pocket to buy a Big Mac. Come on. Teenager problems. <laughs> and you become an adult and now you got real problems. I mean, you're trying to get a loan for your house. You're trying to pay your bills. You have a flat tire on the way to work. Just life's full of problems. All kinds of problems. All kinds of troubles. Family troubles. Financial troubles. Friend troubles. Spouse troubles. Marriage troubles. Emotional troubles. We could just go on and on and on and say, Preacher, you're getting me depressed. <laughs> but I don't believe that's what he's talking about in verse number one. I think he's talking about when you're in real trouble. I'm talking about real, real trouble. I looked up in the Bible, the word trouble is in the Bible 109 times. Just the word trouble. And there's a, the word troubled is 68 times, past tense. And you just look at all the times, it's troubles and troubleth, all this, almost 200 times you find that word in the Bible. And I started looking at a bunch of those verses, like there's no way in the world I can preach all this on a Sunday morning. So I picked three of them out. There's three different situations that people get themselves in trouble, and I'm gonna look at them right quick, or I'll be as brief as I can. Number one, there's the troubles that you have from the decisions that you've made in your life. All right, one of the things that we learned growing up is that there are consequences for your decisions. You make a decision, you make a choice. If it's a wise choice, it has a good outcome. You make a bad choice, it's gonna have a bad outcome. Here's the problem, we got a bunch of people today that think they can make a bunch of bad choices and not end up in trouble. That's not how life works. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of transgressors is hard. They just have a hard life. I mean, everything they try to do, they're hitting their head against a brick wall. They've made foolish choices. They've made decisions contrary to God's will and they bring trouble upon themselves. By the way, God still judges sin. God's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of forgiveness, but he's also a God of wrath and a God of judgment. A lot of people don't like to think about that side of God. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. One day we're all going to stand before him at one judgment or another. Saved folks will stand before him at the judgment seat. Unsaved people will stand before him at the great white throne judgment. And it's not going to be pretty at that one. The Bible already tells us everybody at that judgment gets sentenced to an eternity in hell. Okay, that's how that one works out. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people bring judgment and trouble upon themselves for their own decisions and their own choices. In Joshua chapter number six and seven, I'm not gonna turn over there, but there's a story where the people of God had just fought the battle of Jericho and they're about to go into Ai, they're about to go into Jericho, or rather, they're about to fight this battle. And here's what God said in Joshua 6, 18. Keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. God said, if you take of the accursed thing, you're going to bring trouble on the nation of Israel. And then you get down to chapter number seven of Joshua in verse 25. And here's what Joshua said, looking at Achan. He said, why hast thou troubled us? 
You brought trouble on us as a nation because you chose to go contrary to what God said. And he took of that Babylonian garment, he took that gold, he took that silver that he wasn't supposed to take. He went and dug a hole in his tent and hid it in his tent and covered it up, thought he could get away with it. And God ended up bringing down judgment on the armies of the nation of Israel. They went to the next battle, to the battle of Ai, and they were defeated. What happened? They brought trouble on themselves because of the decisions and the choices that they made. In 1 Kings chapter number 18, there's another story where the man of God is confronted by Ahab the king. And the Bible says when Ahab saw Elijah in 1 Kings 18, 17, he said to Ahab, he said, why art thou he that hath troubleth Israel? You are troubling Israel. He said, what is he talking about? Well, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. Three and a half years with no rain. Think about it. And, and, and he saw the man of God. He said, you're the one that's troubling Israel. And here's what Elijah said to King Ahab. You ready for his answer? He said in verse number 18, he said, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed Balaam. He said, you brought this trouble on yourself because you went contrary to what God said. There's a lot of people living a life full of trouble, capital T, trouble and they brought it on themselves with their foolish decisions and foolish choices. So trouble sometimes can be from the decisions of your life. But I saw another interesting passage of scripture that kind of took a little bit of a, it just kind of took a little bit of a detour, Brother Leader, and that is in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse three and four, the Bible says, now for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. And when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found to them. And I realized that number two, we can have trouble from the deprivation of leadership in our life. The Bible says they were lacking three areas of leadership. First of all, they were without God. That's trouble right there. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine living in 2023 without God. I cannot imagine listening to the news, reading the headlines, seeing what's going on in this country and not knowing God and having God in my life to help me cope with the depressing and deplorable and disgusting things that are happening in our society. The Bible says they were without God. But then it says they were without a teaching priest. They didn't have a man of God to stand in front of them and tell them what God said, what God's word said. They had no instruction. They had no comfort. They had no assurances. They had no promises. They had no direction to go in. They were without God. They was without a teaching priest and they were without law. Now there's some people that say, preacher, I think it'd be awesome if we just didn't have law. Are you kidding me? Do you know how chaotic our society would be if we didn't have laws? Now, do we have laws we don't need? Yeah. Do we have dumb laws? Yeah, we do. Lawmakers have to do something for a living, so they make laws. But let's just be honest. We would not want to live in a place where there was no law. I mean, when you get a green light, you want to be able to go through it. You don't want the guy with the red light to be able to go through there, do you? When you got a stop sign, you want to stop, and you want the people, when they got a stop sign to stop. Otherwise, you have a bunch of crashes in the intersection. Don't you like those lines in the road that people ignore when they're on their phone? Don't you like those lines huh, that, that marks your lane? This is my lane. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. I like those lines. 
They've repaved Peninsula up here. That's where I live off Peninsula. They paved it weeks ago. There's still no lines. People drive all over the place. It's unbelievable. I like laws because laws gives me security. Laws gives me protection. Guess what? They were troubled. That's what he said in the next verse. He says, and when they are in trouble, why were they in trouble? Because they didn't have God. They didn't have a priest to teach them and they didn't have law. Yeah, that's trouble. That's a mess. They were in trouble because they did not have leadership. And I say, preacher, what's your point? My point is this, today, 2023, number one, God's available. Number two, there are men of God that will preach the word of God. They're also available. And number three, we have the law. We have the word of God. So a person that is living without God and without a pastor and without the Bible, that's by choice. And they wonder why their life's a mess. I hear it all the time. Preacher, I need to get in church. Why? Man, my life's a mess. Yep. Yep. You're lacking leadership. Jesus looked out over the nation of Israel. You know what he saw? He had compassion upon them. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. They're just going everywhere. They have no one to guide them, no one to lead them, show them where the water is, show them where the grass is, nobody to fight off the wolves, nobody to fight off the bears, nobody to put them in the hedge at night and lay in the door to keep them safe. People without God and without church and without the Bible, they got a life full of trouble. And they can't figure out why every day. It's hard. I'm trouble. Maybe you need some leadership in your life. Can I get a witness? Charlie got out again yesterday. That's my dog, Charlie. Demon possessed, little little thing. We got a beautiful backyard, green grass, nice fence. He digs and crawls under. And he goes in the neighbor's yard and stands there and looks at me. I'm like, you stupid dog. And he just looks at you and you go over there and right when you go to pick him up, he takes off running. Don't you love it when they do that? I can't do what I'm thinking about doing because all my neighbors have ring doorbells on their... And I'll be on Facebook tomorrow. Baptist preacher kicks dog. I can see it now. I pick him up and I'm walking in the house and I'm talking to him like he can understand. I said, Charlie, what is wrong with our yard? What is wrong with our yard? Our yard's nicer than their yard. Why do you always want to go over there? I think that's how a lot of people live their whole life. God's got some boundaries and some prayers and they always want to be somewhere they're not supposed to be. Guess what you're going to have? Trouble. Trouble. Number three, let me give you one more. You get over to the book of Acts. I want you to turn with me over to Acts 16. I, I want to show you something. This is, this is amazing. By the way, like I said, there's almost 200 times the word trouble is mentioned in the Bible. I'm just looking at three of them this morning. And every one of these points are preached for about an hour. But you get, to, you get to the book of Acts chapter number 16, and there's an interesting story. So you've got the apostle Paul. Paul and Silas are preaching. They're going all over the place preaching. People's getting saved. The devil's fighting. The devil's crowd's fighting. It's, I mean, it's, 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 if it's not one thing, it's two. But you get to Acts chapter number 16 and verse number 16. If you're there, say amen. Came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Okay, she's demon possessed. She's involved in the occult, witchcraft, sorcery. Spirit of divination, which brought her masters much gain by her soothsaying. All right, so this would be like the biblical equivalent of a, a tarot card reader or a fortune teller. 
soothsayer. She's involved in the occult. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, the evil spirit that was within her, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And she came out the same hour. Okay, she got saved. That's what happened. She got born again. She got delivered from these evil spirits that was within her. Well, that didn't sit too well with her masters, verse number 19. Because when her master saw that the hope of their gains was, was gone, they, they had just killed the golden goose or the goose that laid the golden eggs. That thinks how it goes. Huh? Look at what they said. The Bible says they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Hang on just a second. No. They're not troubling the city. You are. And why were they troubling the city? Why was the city being troubled? Because these men were disregarding the light. That's number three of the glorious gospel that was being preached unto them. Now watch this. The girl, the woman, she got help. She got delivered. She got saved. Her life was changed. Her life was transformed. She went from being possessed with evil spirits, come on, to being possessed and filled with the Holy Spirit, and her life was changed. Her life was so changed, she quit her job. <laughs> now, don't say all that in there, but that's exactly what she did. Her masters, when they saw that the means of their gains were lost, she went in and she quit her job. Here's what she said. She walked in. She says, I'm not clocking in today. I know you want me to go tell people their fortunes and you want me to be involved in all this witchcraft, but I got born again, saved by the grace of God. I got saved and I can't do this anymore. I quit. And she walked out and she quit. Now, she wasn't troubled. Her life just went thumbs up. But the men that were disregarding the truth and the light, they were trouble. That's called conviction, by the way. And they blamed it on Paul and Silas. These are the men that troubleth our city. They came into our city and they cast the demons out of our woman without our permission. <laughs> yeah. Look at what happens. The Bible says, verse number 22, the multitude rose up together. Magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. I'm talking about Paul and Silas. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Okay, they're in solitary confinement. They're, they're, in, they're at the Gray Bar Hotel. They're on the inside of the jail. No windows, no doors, feet in stocks, backs laid open, bleeding from the beating. <sighs> These are the men that's troubling the city, right? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Can we say he was in trouble? Can we say that this old boy realized he had messed up? I mean, the Romans would kill a jailer 
when they had prisoners escape from jail. He woke up, realized what had happened, and the first thing that came to his mind is, I got to kill myself. This is how bad it is. And the Bible says when Paul and Silas heard him, they said in verse 28, do thyself no harm, for we're all here. What did he do in verse 29? He called for a light. <laughs> I've been living in darkness long enough. I don't know everything. Now, he was asking for a physical light, and he may or may not have got one. Paul might have had one of them little Boy Scout flash, flashlights, solar-powered flashlights in his pocket. I don't know. He called for a light. You know what light he got? The light I'm talking about. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, let me throw a little light on the subject here, boss. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Guess what? Can I say it? God delivered him out of his trouble. Did he not? A very present help in time of trouble. The Bible says in verse number 32, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. That has always fascinated me. He couldn't even wait till sunup to get baptized. He didn't even wait till the next church service. They went out in the middle of the night. It's past midnight now. It's past midnight according to verse number 25. It's sometime two, three o'clock in the morning and they're looking for a creek somewhere where this old boy can get baptized. Bible says, he's baptized he and all his. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. What about that? Just a few minutes ago, he was, he was about to kill himself. Just a few minutes ago, he was siding with all these people that were blaming the trouble they were in on Paul and Silas. But he himself was in a whole bunch of trouble. But he got saved. He got born again. He called out to God. And God was a very present help in time of trouble. And God saved him, saved his whole family. He got baptized and was rejoicing just a few minutes after he was trying to kill himself. Can I tell you where the trouble comes in? The trouble is with that crowd that knows the gospel, has heard the gospel, knows that Jesus saved sinners, knows that Jesus died for lost people, and they reject it. That's the, the crowd that's in trouble this morning. Those that get saved, we're not in trouble. <laughs> we're loving life. There might be somebody here this morning, you say, this is the first time I've ever heard this. Maybe. It's possible. That you've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. But let me tell you what the presentation of the gospel is. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. I asked a guy one time, I said, are you a sinner? He said, no. His wife looked at him like he's crazy. <laughs> We're all sinners. That's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we are condemned to a place called hell when we die. But God didn't want us to go to hell because he created hell for the devil and his angels, not for man. So God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live on this earth for 33 and a half years, a perfect life, a sinless life. And they crucified him, they beat him, and they nailed him to a cross. And his last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And when he said it is finished, what he meant was the plan of salvation. The penalty of sin had been paid. What was necessary for us to be saved was done. And they put him in a borrowed tomb and three days later he came out of that grave. And he's sitting on the right hand of the Father today. 
And he's extending an invitation to every man, woman, boy, and girl to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior so they can be saved and go to heaven. Now, those of us in here that have done that, wonderful life, awesome life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But people that hear that and reject it and disregard the light, ooh, trouble, trouble, trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Life of misery. Trying to feed that flesh and go against God and reject the gospel, it's not going to work out for you. You might be here this morning. You say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you let God help you this morning? The Bible said in Psalm 34, 17, or Psalm 34, 6, rather, this poor man cried. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you call on God this morning? The first thing you've got to do is acknowledge that you have a need. Before a person will ever pick up the phone and call 911, they've got to be faced with the fact that they need help. And they call for help. Can I tell you something this morning? God can help you, but the first thing you've got to do is that you've got to admit it. Getting saved is easy. The hard part is getting people lost. For them to realize they need God. Altars are filling up. Here at Calvary Baptist Church, folks come to the altar and pray after every service. That's fine. You're welcome to join them down here. But you may be here this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you a personal question, and I know it's personal. But would there be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Schiff, that I cannot say with 100% certainty that if I died today that I would go to heaven. I cannot say that I'm 100% sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. I hope I am. I think I am. But I don't know that for sure. And I would like for you to remember me in prayer. Would you just acknowledge that by right where you're at, quietly, just slipping your hand up. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. And then put your hand right back down. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand right there. God bless you. I see that hand right there. God bless you. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anybody else? Listen, we wouldn't embarrass you for $10 million. We just want to help you get that settled. There is nothing greater in your life than knowing you're going to heaven when you die. Would you allow somebody to take a Bible? You say, I'm embarrassed. Are you too embarrassed to die and go to hell? Are you embarrassed to reject the free gift of salvation that is being offered to you this morning. God is extending an invitation to you. He's an ever-present help, very present help in time of trouble. He's right here this morning. He can help you. He can help you know for sure you're going to heaven. Several have raised their hand. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. We would be so honored to help you get that sorted out this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. There's no question in my mind. If I died right now, I'd go to, I'd go to heaven. But there are some things in my life that I need, to, I need God to help me with. I'm not really where I ought to be with God. Would you slip your hand up where I can pray for you? Hands are going up. 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 God bless you. You can put them down. 